today on Laura Lynn and Friends. I say, oh, it's all about choice. It's not about choice. It's about a doctor or a nurse practitioner agreeing that your life is not worth living, signing the forms, and then lethally injecting you. That's what it's about. It's about the doctor or nurse practitioner having the right of law to kill you. That's what it's actually about. Well, hello everyone and welcome to The Last Days or the beginning of The Last Days. My name is Laurel Lynn Tyler Thompson and I am very glad to be with you today. I love to read from my dad's Bible. Uh, he passed away just over a year ago and it means so much to me to, to think of him and to remember what a man of God he was. And uh, he has outlined his very, very old Bible from one end to the other and I try not to lose these precious pages at the back that kind of have all kinds of notes. One day I'll go through the notes a little see what he had to say about that. But I opened up the Bible today to Zechariah 10, and I thought it was kind of apropos for uh, our, our day and age. Um, what what a time we're living in, the greatest psyop of all times with evil diviners, just like in the times of Zechariah. Well, chapter 10 says, Ask ye of the Lord, reign in the time of the latter reign. So I think it's saying, ask the Lord to reign in the time of the latter rain. What does that mean? That he would pour out his presence and help for us. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. For the idols have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. I, I think we're back at those days where we don't seem to have shepherds. We don't have good shepherds. We have a whole bunch of uh, pastors who should have been shepherds this last two years, and they were cowards. We have some really good ones, and uh, those are the people that I call my friends, those who stood and uh, who have seen the truth, who proclaim the truth, who talk about the truth openly. Uh, we like to do church with a little bit of worship, a little bit of truth from a doctor, and then the Word of God. That's the new kind of church, and that's the uh, the one that I want to promote whenever we do our events. So uh, something very interesting happened. Um, I got a lot of emails regarding my comment yesterday uh, about Glenn Beck, and um, I shared with you about uh, my, my experience and after hearing Glenn Beck talk about his dream and a man of God had called him, a man uh, that we would all know, and this guy seemed to know that he had had the dream, and I didn't finish this part yesterday, and he said, do not discount the dream, and basically, uh, Glenn Beck had had a dream, I believe 10 years apart, the exact same dream, and this evil person removed their mask, and it was not a bad politician. It was not an evil human. It was actually a demonic force, and so... Uh, Glenn Beck felt that he had had sort of a word that, that pointed to the fact that this day and age, we're dealing with pure evil, and we're going to be talking about the death culture that we have, death culture. But I, I want to address something else. So uh, whenever I say something that some of you have an issue with, you all write me or text me. I got my good friend Dennis texting me about this, and it was basically about me calling Glenn Beck a man of God. So... I want to explain something, and then I want to play for you from his own words where he's at. The reason that you all uh, were concerned and you wanted to let me know, because some of you thought, well, maybe you don't know, but he's, he's in the Mormon uh, religion. And I do know that. Here's the thing. I've been watching him for a lot of years. I have watched him pray out loud 
on his show, the kind of prayer with the power and the force of the Holy Spirit behind it so powerfully, I've scarce seen a pastor and a clergyman in this nation pray in that manner. I know some powerful men of God, and I've certainly felt the power of the Holy Spirit when they prayed. But I can tell you, I've, I've seen a lot of big churches and haven't felt one bit of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit there. So because Glenn Beck definitely has an ability to discern the times because he understands pure evil, I call him a man of God because he ascribes that Jesus is the son of God. And this Bible right here says that if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, uh, that he died for our sins, then, then you are, you're in. So I was concerned. I said, well, Lord, I don't want to be calling someone a man of God when they're blatantly, you know, I might've felt like I could feel the power of the Lord off of him. And I, I have known, I've heard him talk over, you know, but, but what does Glenn Beck really think? Why is he a Mormon? And after listening to this, uh, almost an hour, uh, with journeys of faith, Paula Ferris. So she talks to a lot of people about their faith. I love it. It's the kind of talks I used to have on 700 Club nonstop. Tell me about your faith. Tell me what you believe. How did you come to this place where you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And I, so I wanted to know, and I thought, all right, I'm going to listen. She talks to him. Um, he says, I now understand mercy. So he describes how he was a very broken man, alcoholism. He lost his wife. He lost his life, his family, uh, his career, just completely broken at one point. And then he met his new wife and they were putting life together. And, uh, you know, he wanted her to marry him. And she said, well, no, because you don't know who your God is. You don't understand about Jesus. And so she said, I can't marry you because we're not equally yoked, so to speak. So he began searching and he went to all these churches and, um, and, and he went to, you know, evangelical churches, Protestant, Catholic, all of that. And he ends up at a Mormon church because his friend invited him who is, who currently, I believe still works on his show. And let me tell you what I think happened here. I don't believe Jesus can be, um, can be held in a building or in a denomination. I believe the power of Jesus can hit somebody when they are searching, they will find him. I believe that Glenn Beck went into a place where they were so friendly and so kind, and they invited him to have dialogue about things of faith. And he also discusses how he went to see Billy Graham. Billy Graham had tears in his eyes as they spoke and Billy Graham loved on him. Any issues? And, um, so what happened, <clears throat> just moving things around behind the scenes, you know, we like to do our, our, the, the moving of, of all of our objects, uh, you know, during the show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <sighs> okay. So, um, so what happens? He goes to see Billy Graham and, and they end up talking, uh, about God, about Jesus, about many different things. And, Glenn Beck was searching for comfort and, and he wanted it from a man of God and he went to Billy Graham. So please reserve all of your emails. Billy Graham was a, you know, Jesuit, I don't know, whatever. 
okay, you know, there's so much confusing. I, 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 it's actually part of the problem. Who is of faith? Who, who is a man of God? Who isn't? It's going to come down to one thing, the great judge, and he'll judge. He'll judge who truly searched for God, um, invested in God, who cared enough to, to ask the deep questions and actually sought God. If you seek him, you will find him. Does that mean if you seek God and you go to, to some religion that we would probably say we don't ascribe to, that you won't find him? Or will God find you wherever you seek him? If it's about Jesus. I'm not talking about you believe in hairy fairy, uh, you know, crystals and the universe. And God bless you, all of you who think that the universe, uh, you know, speak it into the universe. I want to have more money. Speak it into the universe. It shall come to you. Okay. This word says that it is God who gives the ability to make great wealth. So I choose to speak to my father in heaven about whatever I'm going through. I don't call out to some mystical universe that doesn't have a personality and you can't define it. And it is not defined even by itself. God defines himself. We don't define him. So I listened to this thing all to set up for a preamble. I had to listen to 40, 40 minutes in. Okay. Before I started getting to somewhere where I could put and, and clamp my teeth into it and, and understand where's Glenn Beck coming from? Why is he ascribing to the, the Mormon church? Of course, we don't ascribe to Joseph Smith and all of the, you know, the, you, the Bible says that if any angel comes and declares a different, you know, revelation, you don't acknowledge it. It's, it's not of God. Even the devil can appear as an angel of light. That's why I never read horoscopes. That's why I don't go to a medium. That's why I don't consult a tea leaf reader or go to anybody who, who says that they can do a seance and pull up the dead. That's forbidden in the word. And if anyone, if you've ever gone to some sort of soothsayer, what do they call those? Uh, you know, you go and see someone and they t tell you your future. Tar well, a tarot card reader or, you know, there's a, yeah, fortune teller. Okay. So you go to one of these fortune tellers or whatever. Thanks, Shane. Shane's putting in two bits now for the show. Fantastic. Second day on the job. Um, so, so you, you, you go to a fortune teller and you are shocked because they know something about your life. Oh, they knew I had an Auntie Margaret and oh my, this has to be the real thing, you know? And <clears throat> they tell you something that your itching ears want to hear. Well, those, that information they're getting I have no doubt that it can be accurate to some respect because they are getting their information from demons. There's God, there's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit, there's Lucifer, there's all the one third of the angels that fell. There's good angels that never fell and never were deceived by Lucifer. So on this planet, when you get some sort of word from someone who seems to know something, just because they know something doesn't mean that they are the truth you should be following. They are speaking and communicating with demons and are giving you a word. And so I hope that that helps some of you to understand why, well, I once went, you know, to this, this person, you know, we sat there and they had the cards and they, they read my life story and they knew everything. And now I go all the time because I want the latest update. Those demons will eventually trap you. They will deceive you. They will give you a word that is not from God. That's the danger. You never open that door. And if you have opened that door, you close it. So with, with respect to Glenn Beck, I just want to say this, that I'm not going to judge a man's salvation and neither should you. 
And I found this to be an interesting thing that he had to say. I'm going to turn it up loud, JT. I'm going to put it near my microphone, hopefully, so that we can um, so that we can hear what Glenn uh, what what Glenn Beck is saying. All right. So now he's about to go into. Why did he stay? I believe he kind of stayed because he found friends, which means we should all be a lot more friendly. But I believe he found the true Jesus. As for all the other stuff around Mormonism, listen to what he has to say. All right? The answers that counted for, you know, people are like, oh, so you believe in the golden plates and Joseph Smith? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that happened. I don't know. I don't know. You know, non-Christians say, you believe that Jesus rose for the dead? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus, you, God created the heavens and the earth. And you believe in the Big Bang? I don't know. I don't know. What's essential to my salvation is that Jesus is the Christ. That he has laid out a plan for us. That we should follow that plan. And that plan is, he's going to judge us. So, we should serve him and the best way to serve him is to serve our fellow man and within really a couple of months after getting baptized and stuff within a couple of months i couldn't wait to talk to strangers i couldn't wait to hear them i got yelled at by my program director because i was asking people so what what's what's happening in your life i wanted to i all of a sudden was so fascinated and so in love with people coming from a different perspective and what they were going through. It was, I was completely changed, completely changed. Um, and you think that was all because of your faith? Yeah, I know. It was from um, shedding all of the... You know, and I, I stood in the waters of baptism, and if you're a Christian, you believe that, that that act, if you're sincere, is what takes away all of your mistakes. And boy, I needed that. I needed that. I How long were you in the water? I was actually in the water, I think, for about 10 minutes before, because Pat baptized me. So I was in the water for about 10 minutes before he could get the words out, because we were both crying. Um, and... And in my head, I was saying to God, never do this. I was saying to God, you promise, you promise. There are very few people that need this as much as I do. And I'm begging you. And you promise if I do what you tell me to do, you will take all of this away from me. I warn you, don't ever say this. I warn you, I won't be the one to break the covenant. Oh, my gosh. And, the, I mean, the next day my life changed. Wow. Literally the next day my life changed. When you, when you prayed and you said, take all of this from me, what were you referencing when you said this? Firing the guy with a pen. He fired a guy for he bringing him the wrong pen. Lousy. He was a lousy person. person. Lousy. So all of that that I just wanted to share today on him is... Um, he might not have all the doctrine that you and I believe, but does he believe all the Mormon stuff? Apparently not. He sounds like almost a baby Christian, but what did he do? He believed that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He believed on, on Jesus Christ being the way, and he got water baptized. For the rest of it, and this was done, this, this interview is now about three years old, I believe. 
who knows what he's come to understand about who Jesus really is. And maybe one day he's going to understand that it's not the, the Mormon faith that has, you know, a foundational issue, but it sounds like he doesn't ascribe to that. What he found was the true God who changed his life and he's never been the same. That's who Jesus is. So I want to say in defense of me calling him a man of God, that just because someone on the outside has something going on. How many of you think you might be surprised not to see your pastor in heaven? You've been going to a church for an awful long time, right? I think we'll be surprised as to who's there and who's not, because only God will be the judge of a man's heart and what they received. So all of that to say, cut me some slack too. All right. Um, so this morning, folks ga uh, gathered to honor Jordan Peterson's fight against the College of Psychologists. I absolutely love this. Uh, we had somebody reporting from there. Uh, are the, is it just going to be, let me give you a glimpse of this is what happened in Ontario this morning. Uh, the people standing for Jordan Peterson and can I say Christine Anderson called in from Europe to, uh, to stand in for him. So take a look. Jordan Peterson here is uh, getting in trouble from his... Uh College of Psychologists for standing up and speaking his mind, whether it's against political stuff or just for free speech and human rights or his own opinion. It doesn't matter. It's uh, oppressive and uh, it's not to be accepted. So, and a College of Physicians or Psychologists or any type of uh, government uh, organization like that needs to be stomped into the ground if it thinks it's going to violate someone's rights. So, uh, we're here to demonstrate at least uh, that we're in disapproval and we'll see how things go and we're going to support him in his uh, endeavors to sue them. Oh my God, how are you? What are you, what are you doing here, Max? I'm doing my best to promote our freedom and you know it's all about freedom of expression. I know that Arian, you know, you're always there, you're always with us, so thank you for what you're doing on your show and uh, it's because of you that your freedom Freedom Convoy, the Freedom Fighters are going step by step. We are here today in support of, yes, Jordan Peterson. I love Max. But also in support of all these courageous Canadians who were silenced, sanctioned, or lost their job because of their words, because of their convictions. Regulated professionals like psychologists, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and lawyers. All these people, all these people fight for us. And we are here to defend openly with passion and determination our freedom to express our own opinions against these tyrants who censor us and impose on us their leftist orthodoxy. That's the guy. I, I can tell you today that together we will win that battle because we are on the right side. are always the ones who censor 
and we will win that battle for us, for our children, and for our country. Stay strong and free, and always fight for what you believe. Thank you. opportunity to support you actively and if it's even with this small and brief phone call and secondly I would of course like to thank each and every one of you who made the effort and came out today to stand in and support this rally and by doing so you are actually defending freedom democracy and the rule of law thanks for being there you guys are And uh, but most, most importantly, obviously, I would like to pay Jordan B. Peterson my utmost respect. I became aware of him when he spoke out against Bill, 16, uh, Bill C-16, which he very accurately back then described as legislation to compel speech. And guys, this was five years ago. And look where we are today. Now, Mr. Peterson, I have been following you since then, and I truly admire how tenaciously you stand by your convictions and beliefs. It takes incredible strength and a strong moral compass to defy their illiberal attempts to force you into compliance. Mr. Peterson, this message is for you. You are an inspiration for so many people around the world, and it is with great pleasure and an honor for me to be able to say today, heck yes, I stand in support with Jordan B. Pearson. I stood up for informed consent and they told me I don't have any rights and I lost my 40 year nursing career. So that's terrible. Yeah, no, but you know what? I've met so many incredible people and I don't regret a thing because if I hadn't stood up, who am I? What's the point? They're afraid because he's not afraid of speaking out against Trudeau and all the WEF and all the people who are trying to control our governments around the world. And I support Jordan Peterson. Okay, excellent. And thank you to Greg Wycliffe for uh, some of the comments that he did and also to Joseph, who was our roving reporter today. We sure do appreciate that. And uh, since we can't be there ourselves, uh, Christia Freeland, wow, she has got some difficulties trying to explain where $2 billion that she's asking for is actually going. Isn't she a, a doll? Senator, take a look. Why are we doing it now? Why? I would say to you two things. One, the green transition, we have to act quickly. But from my perspective, the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act added to the urgency with which Canada needs to act. They are deploying hundreds of billions of dollars to invest in the green transition. We need to move really, really fast. But, and so getting this fund in place quickly is more important than ever. But, but Minister, you can't put the fund in place. You're saying Give me the $2 billion, I'll buy some shares, but the company doesn't even exist. 
the company doesn't exist and you're you're giving us all this information verbally if that's if that's the mandate of this soon to be or this uh, corporation you're talking about why isn't it in the legislation i mean you know we're looking at this there's 17 lines there to justify spending two at least two billion dollars and then it leaves it wide open for there to be additional appropriations coming out of the coming out of the Canada Revenue Fund. Like I'm just very, very surprised to see it. Two billion dollars with no with no explanation within the bill over how the two billion dollars is going to be controlled. The, the company's not even created and you're going what are you going to buy shares in? There's no company yet. <laughs> Senator you are one of the um, most precise and best, you know, with have this one of, you're one of the most precise questioners I face oh, and have a very, very just, strong financial background. And I really appreciate that. And I, I really think that scrutiny is important. What I would say fire. in terms of the Canada Growth Fund is what I hear from Canadians and from Canadian businesses especially in wake of the Inflation Reduction Act, is Canada has to move fast, and Canada has to move faster than we have hitherto. So we are moving quickly to structure the Canada Growth Fund. We're going to be fully transparent in how we stand it up, and details are going to be forthcoming in the coming weeks and months. But I really believe, given the hundreds of billions of dollars that the U.S. is deploying, we cannot allow the U.S. to suck all of that investment south of the border. Right. Christia, could I just ask you why the Canadian dollar? We need $1.40 Canadian to buy an American dollar before you go spending $2 billion on a company that does not even exist yet for your green energy mumbo jumbo, which actually will end up costing all of us an awful lot. Can you please tell us why our dollar is sinking, sinking, sinking? Could you put that on the top of your list? And uh, in Toronto, and I know this is jumping ahead. I want to get to our guests next. Uh, but in Toronto, uh, they are jacking up the, the property tax. Uh, it is going to go up, isn't it over 5%, 5.5% or something, if we can scroll down there absolutely shocking amount. The Sun is reporting on it. Everyone's reporting on it. They're basically saying, um, yeah, the cost of running Toronto has gone up by 40%. It's not clear what all that new spending is buying given the state of the city, but those are the cold hard facts when examining the two budget proposals. What are they going to do? They're going to increase uh, the, the property taxes by um, over 5%. Can you imagine getting your property tax statement and, and finding out how much more you pay? So basically, um, the 4.6 billion increase since 2015 is near double the 21% inflation. The bank of Canada says we have seen across Canada in that same time frame. spending is up by 7.8% over last year's budget proposal. Now to pay for all of this, these ridiculous and idiotic, 
uh, people that have literally been put into place and, 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 you know, we voted them in. Property taxes will go up. Oh, look at this by 7% above the rate of inflation. Okay. But it, there's an, okay. Down here, it says Tory insisted he's still keeping his promise because the 7% increase will be broken down as a 5.5% increase in property taxes while the rest will go to the city building fund. Wow. You know, you guys are really terrible. You're, you're just terrible at running the country. You're destroying our country. You're wrecking everything. You've destroyed for, uh, small business, medium-sized businesses. I'm noticing the restaurants that will never open again because of you guys. You're absolutely insane. Furthermore, you're promoting that children should have the right to take their own lives. And that's where uh, we're going to bring in our guest right now and talk about something very serious, uh, just absolutely disgusting that's going on in our country. And there's no one better to speak on this than the Executive Director of Euthanasia and Prevention Coalition. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Health Canada Activity Book for Kids and Made. Can you believe it? I, I don't, I can't even begin to understand how uh, we've gotten to this death culture where people are literally given the choice uh, of dying and it doesn't even seem to matter what age they are. Uh, Mr. Alex Shadenberg, thank you very much for waiting in the wings. Thanks for being with us today. It's, uh, it's very important that we talk about this topic. It's been in the media quite a bit, but the fact of it is, is that this uh, Health Canada book for children is to do two things. One is to make uh, our children think it's okay that uh, grandma is being killed by lethal injection. Uh, but the second thing is just to normalize it generally within the culture. You know, the, call, the, co the concept is, is that not everyone thinks that uh, uh, killing grandma or grandpa is a good idea or killing the person with a disability down the street is a good idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to normalize it. We're going to tell our children that this is a good thing. We're going to tell our children that this was uh, all about their free choice and it's, uh, it's what we should do. Uh, you know, this booklet actually, what was interesting about it is it actually did solve one of the big issues. The uh, euthanasia lobby has been lying all along about how these drugs actually work. And there's been uh, an expert uh, who's actually a Canadian who does research in the U.S. who pointed out that the drugs that they use for euthanasia, what it does is they, uh, they were told it shuts down the heart. And people say, oh, well, you know, it's a drug that shuts down the heart. In fact, he pointed out, no, these drugs don't shut down the heart at all. They shut down the lungs. So you actually die from suffocation. That's how the death actually occurs. Now, they give you enough drugs that you don't really feel it, he would say, or they, they would say. It's, they say it's a peaceful death because they drug you up enough before they give you the final drugs. Uh, nonetheless, it's death by drowning. That's how it actually works. And in this booklet to the children, it actually admits that what it does is it shuts down the lungs. And I was looking through this book thinking you're normalizing euthanasia. You're doing this and trying to make everything seem beautiful and wonderful that we're killing grandma. But at least they told the truth about how it actually works. And they let out the fact that, in fact, it's not about shutting down the heart. It is about causing your lungs to be able to, unable to work and you die by suffocation. That's how you die. by. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, Alex, like what, uh, what that would feel like, like drowning, like you can't breathe and you're still cognizant. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm sure they're drugging you as well, but it's right. just, they, it they, sounds they were debating hideous. That. They were debating that during three during the Bill C seven debate, and because uh, we expanded euthanasia in March of uh, 2021, and during that debate, uh, experts were pointing out that actually how the drugs work, and the pro euthanasia people were saying yes, but that's okay because we give you enough drug that you go into a sleep very quickly and you'll never feel it, etc. 
And in fact, uh, the experts were saying, well, no, actually, uh, dying by drowning is a horrific way to die, but you've drugged them up enough that they can't actually say that to you. Uh, so, but that's actually how it works. Uh, but let's get into this further because it's not this, this booklet is terrible enough, but right now our parliament's been debating expanding euthanasia to what they call mature minors. So you might realize there's been a, a parliamentary committee discussing. So they had uh, a parliamentary committee made up of uh, senators and members of parliament. Now it's overwhelmingly, uh, because of course you have a liberal government, uh, it's overwhelmingly uh, pro-euthanasia, this committee. But one of the issues they were looking at is to say euthanasia for mature minors. Now this is a serious issue because once again, uh, euthanasia was sold to Canadians under this concept of freedom of choice and autonomy. And when we're talking about... Um, you know, children who are mature minors, meaning that, you know, they, the doctor would say, yes, this person's capable of making decisions for themselves. The point of it is, is are they actually truly autonomous? You know, this is the whole point. Uh, this was supposed to be about autonomy and everything, but in fact, it's not. It's about ending life is what this is about. You know, if you were to expand it to mature minors, then of course I've said, well, the questionable autonomy that's related to the issue of mature minors, well, then that expands it further because now the issue of autonomy is really now in question the issue of competence is really in question so really it comes down to what this is actually about which is um, uh, killing people who are going through a difficult time in their life and who have who are asking for their life to be ended but in fact what we're seeing and we've seen all these stories now we're seeing uh, people who are going through poverty uh, people who are uh, fearing homelessness people who have not received medical treatment and they're feeling hopeless in their situation asking for their life to be ended and of course uh, they're being approved and they're being killed. It's very you know, sad. You so, know, someone on the feed uh, made a really good point that we're not, um, we're, we don't have the death penalty, a kind way to die after you've serial raped or serial killed uh, or, or, you know, you've murdered people. Uh, we don't have a kind way to allow, we, uh, we you know, we let them live and, and we support them living for the rest of their lives in Canada. I know this is not a debate about the death penalty, but, you know, if it's so, if it's such a, a beautiful way to go, let's let them go beautifully, you know, to their, to their place. But, um, well, well, sadly, if they're in jail and they've, let's say, murdered someone and um, they are in life, in jail for life, but now they come down with a medical condition that's serious. They can die by euthanasia. And and I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting that we should have the death penalty. I'm not getting into that. What I'm saying is yes. you can see how this is really ridiculous, how this whole thing comes together, because supposedly they're going to jail, not only to protect society, but because they committed a heinous crime. Right. And in fact, what happens then is, uh, you know, they, they could die, die by euthanasia, though. Yeah. Yeah, it is it, fascinating. Such a, a, a death culture. And we have people that are saying that uh, they're upset and they call to a government office saying that they need more help or whatever and, and getting suggested to them now. Well, have you thought of MAID? Uh, I, I just read a story yesterday uh, about another person that it was suggested to them. They, they were just in shock. Of course not. Like, I'm not calling you, asking you about, you know, how to die. I'm asking you how to live better. And right, our culture exactly. is, is reaching a very sad, sad place. Well, the shocking thing of the, the veterans with PTSD or the veterans who have been asking for supports and they've been uh, told, well, you could have euthanasia, is these are veterans that often served our country in places that maybe they didn't want to go. Maybe they're serving our country because they, they entered the military to serve us as a, as a nation. And maybe they didn't want to go to Afghanistan and they didn't want to be there. And now, now they're there and they experience some horrific things that have happened to them. Like the Christine Gauthier, for instance, who was asking only for a wheelchair ramp. She's a, 
a Paralympian. She was a, a veteran in our Canadian military who got who got certainly uh, heavily injured in such a way that she became a Paralympian afterwards when she recovered. She's asking for a wheelchair ramp, and she's told, "Well, you know, we're not going to give you a wheelchair ramp, but if it's if it's really that bad, you can have euthanasia." You know, this is insanity. Uh, but you know, let's look at the actual effect on the disability community. You know, that people with disabilities were saying we're opposed to euthanasia because we know that a lot of us are already going through difficulties. So if you're going to allow euthanasia based on chronic conditions or uh, how they define it, irremediable medical conditions, well, that will mean that almost anybody with any sort of moderate to severe disability now qualifies to be killed. So in their dark days, when they're going through their difficult time, which we all do as humans, we all go through difficult times. Now when they're thinking that their life is so difficult that maybe they're thinking about death, the doctors agree, we'll solve your problem by killing you. To me, this is uh, this is just insane. It's gone beyond insanity. But the problem from the beginning is we said it's okay to kill. That's the problem. We said it's okay to kill. So what we're doing now in this country is we're debating, well, who can we kill and under what circumstances? That's all we're doing. And of course, if it's okay to kill one person for one reason, then it's less difficult to now approve it for another reason. So with this, with this book for children, um, have, have we found like whose idea was that? And, and what are they saying their reason for, for telling kids about this is? This first came out in July and I wrote about it in July because it was uh, through the uh, palliative care initiative with Health Canada. And the concept was is that, uh, you know, children are experiencing or seeing or being part of this euthanasia. They may be their grandchild, maybe not the grandparents, maybe a parent, someone who's dying by euthanasia. And how do we explain this to them? So this was the concept. But when you actually read the doc, the, the, the booklet, it's pretty insidious because what it's doing is it's, uh, of course, it's using, you know, lesser, uh, you know, easier language to understand because it's uh, oriented towards children. But for the first time I read it, I thought, no, no, this isn't about explaining death to children. This is about normalizing killing. This is about talking about how beautiful, oh, you know, they just pass away. It's all soft. It's all wonderful. No, wait a second. You just killed grandma. That's right. what happened. You know, we can say everything we want. We could call it medical aid in dying as, as we're doing in Canada because it makes us all feel better. But what actually is this? You know, and this is what it comes down to. And we, we want to ignore that fact because that then we feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable when we talk about what it actually is. This is about, you know, killing someone by lethal injection. Now, maybe they asked for it, but let's be brutally honest about our human condition. There's lots of reasons I might be going through a terrible condition. There's lots of reasons I might think that I want to die. And in fact, that's not new to our human condition. It's not new for people to experience suicidal ideation. I, I wish that wasn't happening in our human family, but it does happen. And it's sadly common. The difference now is we've legalized euthanasia. And in these circumstances, we're agreeing that, yes, your life is not worth living or will kill you. I think we need a caring society. I believe in a caring society. You know, if you're going through difficulties, I don't want you to suffer. I want you to be cared for. I don't want you to be killed either. Because if I can kill you, then you can kill me. And I don't feel comfortable with that. Wow. <clears throat> you know, I remember a psychologist I did an interview and I never forgot what he said because he said after very bad depression and you're going through something terrible and you want yep. to die, yep. uh, within two years, your life could be completely different. And most often Absolutely. you just have to wait a season of time and the sun shines again and people come into your life and love blossoms again and, and you, you survive this moment. And if you take your life at that moment, you never get to see the beauty 
uh, that can come. And, and most people, and five years later, they're in a completely different place. And okay. so giving people this option, uh, Alex, if like, how easy would it be for a teenager having a bad weekend uh, of, you know, their, their girlfriend breaking up, their, their heart broken, they don't have the greatest home life. How easy would it be for, for teenagers to just go and really t take their own life in Canada? Okay. Well, the whole thing is with medical aid and dying as it is right now, or euthanasia as it's now, uh, even if they were to expand it to, uh, to teens, as I say, or to what they say is mature minors, they would have to have some sort of medical condition that have to have a disability or some sort of medical condition. And I'm certainly not justifying it in any way, shape or form, but it wouldn't be as easy as you might be suggesting. But there are other issues that are at hand with this whole culture of death, which is very serious. In the US, you've now had several lawsuits against Amazon because on Amazon, and I shouldn't be talking about this because I don't want people Googling this, but there have been people who have uh, been buying these lethal drugs off of Amazon and they have been dying, teenagers. And, and if you read my articles, you see there's been several lawsuits now against Amazon because Amazon has been allowing this. And they would say, well, this is all under the concept of freedom, freedom of choice, freedom to die, freedom. But it's not freedom when you're going through deep depression and you're having serious uh, mental issues. And now, you know, you find that you come upon this uh, drugs that you can buy on Amazon, you can buy them and they get delivered to your door and you die. To me, this is a, to, to me, this is a, a type of insanity. But, you know, in the other point you were making, I've gotten quite a few emails from people who've gone through very difficult times. There was a woman who sent me a, an article that she wrote and I published it because she said for 40 years, she went through deep, deep, deep mental issues, deep mental issues for 40 years. Now, many people would say, well, she suffered for 40 years, Alex. Why would you deny her medical aid in dying? Well, as she said, you know, she came out of that. Now you would think after 40 years, she says, I'm so happy I'm alive. I'm so happy it wasn't, it wasn't legal because if it had been legal for someone with mental illness at her time, she would have qualified and she would have asked for it and she would have been dead. She says, now I have my, uh, my nieces and my nephews and my family. I'm so happy to be around them. And I'm so happy that I've experienced this life that I'm actually alive to be able to experience it. But yeah, she suffered for 40 years. Um, obviously speaking, I wouldn't want to suffer for 40 years. I understand that. I and mean, humans would say that, but you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel and uh, who are we to judge who should live and die? And that's what actually is happening there. They'd say, oh, it's all about choice. It's not about choice. It's about a doctor or a nurse practitioner agreeing that your life is not worth living, signing the forms and then lethally injecting you. That's what it's about. It's about the doctor or nurse practitioner having the right to law to kill you. That's what it's actually about. That's what the law says. You know, so we can dress it up any way we want. We can make ourselves feel better about it any way we want. But this is about killing. The other problem is killing is contagious. We've seen that. Look at the numbers, how they're going up. Wow. We've not only seen the numbers skyrocketing about euthanasia, sadly. Like Quebec just sent, put out their report. It increased by 51% last year in Quebec. 51% in Quebec alone uh, last year. But also the types of euthanasia, you know, what conditions has just skyrocketed. All these conditions that we never considered. All they thought, oh, we'd be able to control this. No. Uh, there's, and, and the problem, of course, is there's lots of doctors and nurse practitioners who actually think this is a wonderful thing. They think this is about freedom. They think this is a wonderful thing. So when someone's going through a difficult time, you'd say, well, uh, let me give you another thing. This Dr. Weeb in Vancouver, she, I shouldn't go talk about her because I don't want you Googling her. She runs a euthanasia clinic, though. And she was bragging about the fact that there was a woman in Ontario who was turned down several times by her local doctors for euthanasia. They said she didn't qualify. She interviewed this person online, like this, online. She approved them. 
That person bought a ticket, flew to Vancouver. She picked them up at the airport. Isn't she nice? She picked them up at the airport, brought her to her clinic, and she killed that person. She injected that person. Isn't that wonderful? Picking them up at the airport to bring them to your clinic to kill them. Wow. I think this is horrific. It I think is this horrific. is absolutely insane. Oh, but, man. You know, whatever. You know, uh, Tanner uh, Nade actually had uh, a little segment that we uh, got where he's talking about, I believe, this same doctor that you just mentioned. Take a look. During a maid seminar in 2018, Dr. Weeb boasted to her colleagues that, quote, one of my patients who booked her death, I came to see. She was in the hospital. So I came to see her about five days before her booked death. And I said, just, you know, wanted to know if you're still feeling the same when we last talked. And the patient said, no, no, I've changed my mind. I was scared, but I'm not scared anymore. I'm fine. And she actually died on the day that she booked her death, end quote. That's tragic. And it should make all of us shiver with sadness. But what does Dr. Weeb and her colleagues do? They laugh. They laugh like demons. So if anyone wants to know why we're struggling against this legislation so fervently, if anyone wants to challenge us on our zeal to see this unjust law opposed, it's stories like this that force us to preach the truth. Just who exactly are we struggling against? Who exactly are we locked in combat with? We're struggling against doctors, bureaucrats, officials, government officers, men and women consumed by darkness. I think that's what you're saying, Alex. It's the, the culture of death that is now like we're celebrating, we're promoting it. Yes, absolutely. So the only good thing is on uh, December 15th, just as Parliament recessed to the uh, David Lametti, I can't say honorable, Anyway, he announced that uh, they're going to be delaying euthanasia for mental illness in Canada, but he didn't say that they're going to stop it. They didn't say he's going to prevent it. They said they're going to delay it. So it was supposed to come into uh, play or into legal force on March 17th of this year. And so now they're delaying it. And I think one of the reasons he's delaying it is because he had a lot of political heat over the fact that so many people with disabilities who were uh, in poverty or unable to get medical treatment were dying by euthanasia. And these stories were so horrific that he probably thought through that maybe we ought to come in with a few extra rules around euthanasia for mental illness. The problem is, is that uh, people with mental illness, when they actually sadly might still allow this in the near future, these people are often living in the streets. These people are often going through poverty and, uh, and we should be helping these people. You know, when you hear the experts, they say, you know, it's supposed to be an irremediable medical condition, but I can't tell you which of my patients is actually irremediable. So what's going to happen is you get some euthanasia doctor who's all pro-death, who's thinking this is a wonderful idea, and they will say, I think you have an irremediable medical condition and I'll kill you. Guess what? You don't get better after you're dead. doesn't happen. You don't recover after you're dead. You don't have better days. The other thing is Bill C-7, which passed, as I say, in, in March of 2021, it changed something else. Doctors can kill you the same day in Canada. That's pretty insane. So your bad day becomes your last day. You can be approved. You can ask for it. You can be approved. You can die all in one day in Canada. It's all possible. I'm not saying it happens every day, but it can happen. To me, um, you know, this is beyond, uh, beyond reproach what's happening. Our country has become the most extreme country on euthanasia in the world. And yet, if you look at the Netherlands and Belgium, they've had euthanasia, sadly, for 20 years already. And yet, we've already caught up to them and passed them in our, our how would you say, our love for killing and to me, uh, you know, I think we have to really start looking in ourselves and saying, how, how can we change this country? You know, we have to be a country about caring people. You know, if you truly want a freedom, then you need to care for people. Now, finally, my comment about capital punishment, I'm going to throw this in. Uh, in 1972, we had a Supreme Court decision on capital punishment in Canada, and the Supreme Court decided that um, 
capital punishment uh, should never happen in Canada. And it wasn't until 76 that they reversed the law, but it doesn't matter. The Supreme Court decided in 72. What was part of the decision, the Supreme Court decision? They said it was inhumane to ask one person to kill another person. That's in our Supreme Court, 1972, on capital punishment. It's inhumane to have wow. one person kill another person. And yet we're doing it all the time now under euthanasia. Every to day. me, the, the insanity has gone beyond the insanity. So when we brought up that argument in Parliament, they would say, oh, that was capital punishment. This isn't the same thing. What are you talking about? We're killing people. Different circumstances, of course, but we're killing people. And, you know, the other thing, Alex, uh, before you go, but... Uh, um, is the the rise in people feeling that their parents' lives were taken by yeah. heavy-duty drugs that were not approved yeah. by the family when a person was incapacitated. And um, I'm seeing that story more and more come across my desk as well. So it's becoming like the norm. And so we're, we're basically going to take liberties with your loved one, your senior loved one who's at the hospital. And... Um, you know, yeah. one of my, uh, Mr. Jessam, Glenn Jessam from Nova Scotia has a horrific story and he absolutely believes that his mom's life was taken and it was through yeah. these heavy duty drugs and no permission was given for that. No, I know what's happened is, so there was always a problem with that, but it's really grown. One of the reasons I think it's grown is because, uh, with euthanasia, it's changed the cultural attitude amongst physicians to killing. And I'm not saying all doctors are doing euthanasia because, of course, all doctors are not doing euthanasia, but certain doctors are doing it. So if it's okay to kill you under these circumstances, what about the next person? And they would say, oh, but, you know, he was suffering. Well, I don't want people to suffer either. Don't get me wrong. I've got no interest in your suffering. I, I, I You know, but I don't believe in killing you. And I don't believe it should be anybody's right to kill you. And I think it becomes very dangerous in a culture that we start killing people. And, of course, that's where we're at right now. But if you can kill someone for by euthanasia that way, well, and you're looking at somebody else in a bed who might be having agitation and issues like that, you can see how the taboo of killing has been removed and how it ends up. So it becomes pretty sad and serious when uh, these things happen. And uh, so I have, I have, I don't know the actual story you're mentioning, but I, I do agree that uh, we've been getting lots of stories about the same situation, yeah. and sadly, it's becoming more common. You need to have people protect you in the in the medical field. So we're always uh, talking now. If you're someone who's older or having certain medical issues, you need an advocate. You need people with you. You need people visiting you when you're in the hospital. You just better hope that people are spending time with you, uh, are there with you. Um, and why am I saying that? Well, because it's harder to um, it's harder to do something to somebody who has family members around them who are caring about them, who are being there, who say, you know, dad, we love you. It's harder to do something to someone like that than to someone who no one ever comes to visit. Who lays You're so bed. right. And, and you know what they've done, like in this last couple of years, uh, some people who, you know, have not taken a certain shot are not able to get into the hospitals to be with their loved ones. And so there's been complaints in that regard that yeah. their loved ones have not had yeah. adequate uh, people because, you know, there's this whole other thing happening. Um, but I personally was blessed to be able to be in, in with my father. He had COVID pneumonia. And I was told by two hospital people that he would have died if I wouldn't have come and been there nonstop. I was there for 10 hours till to the point that the uh, nurses complain, you know, like, why, why are you here so long? And, uh, you know, I didn't feel like letting them know, well, because I don't want your wickedness to hurt my dad and i did so, feel that that uh, there was a lack of compassion and care that's number one i did not trust them for a second 
on uh, what, what, you know, the care that they would be giving. And we are in a very bad place medically in all realms, but yep. this whole maid increase, um, and I know there's been a battle even in seniors' homes where there was one place, yes. the Delta Hospice yes. Society, that fought yes. so hard uh, to have one home, one seniors' home, where they wouldn't even be offered maid. Like, maid was not on the yep. table. And yeah, I'm uh, on the board these... of the Delta Hospice Society. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you are. You know about it. Yeah. I know all about it. Yeah. Well, I will, I'm going to say a couple things, first of all, and then maybe we'll be near to down anyway. But the fact of it is, it's not all medical people are horrible, but there's enough people in the system who have bought into this killing mode that it's a serious problem. You don't know who they are. It's not like a, an old Western where one guy comes in with a dark hat and the next one comes in with a white hat. You know the difference between who's who. You just don't know. Uh, secondly, you know, you were a loving daughter and thank God you were there for your father. Uh, but we need a lot more of that. And uh, that's, that's because uh, as human beings, we really do need people there for us. We need them to be there for us. We need them to be also, it's better for the medical staff to notice there's someone there who loves you. You know, it makes a big difference when they say, oh, this person's got, you know, a daughter that just loves them so completely. Then they start treating that person better, uh, not because they, they're any different than the next person in the other bed, but because they recognize that someone really cares. You know, yeah. there's so many people who are lonely today also, who are going through difficult times and who are lonely. They need someone who be, to be at their side more than ever before. Don't let your loved ones sit alone in a hospital bed. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. Be there for them and help them as much as you can, even if it means putting your work aside for a tiny bit of time. Uh, euthanasia is a serious problem also because as human beings, we all go through difficult times. Every single one of us go through difficult times. And when you're going through that time, you might feel like your life should be ended. That's not new to the human reality, but now they can kill you. Right. So. And now on a bad day, you can make that decision in a bad frame of mind um, and, and yeah, that now, is the now on a bad day, just, that could be your last day. That's yes, right. That's and possible. They're they all too willing to make it easy for you. There is enough people in the medical establishment now who are really pushing this. Uh, and it's become, a, it's become a crusade for them. Part of it's also that they want it to be normalized because they're doing it. They don't want there to be a feeling of recrimination that they're doing something wrong. You know, they would hear my interview. They would say, oh, that's terrible. He's calling this killing. Well, what is it then? Tell me what it is. You know, that's what it is. You can say what you want about it. You can dress it up. You can call it all the words you want, but that's what it is. I'm sorry to say it, but that's what it is. Right. And it doesn't absolutely. make me feel any better saying it. So. Well, um, Alex Schadenberg, thank you very much for your work in this area thank and you. for shedding the light on what's happening and for standing so courageously. I appreciate you um, more than you know for what you're doing for our country. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Thanks, Alex. Well, I'll take that cough, uh, that cough drop there that you got for my, <clears throat> my ongoing cough that I seem to be struggling with here. Um, seems like just in the last couple days, I got like a little bit more, uh, you know, I, I was getting rid of that long cough, but, uh, that was a fascinating interview. And I just appreciate Mr. Um, Shadenberg basically enlightening us on, uh, on this issue in Canada and Canada has become just so you know, one of the most liberal euthanasia countries in the world and that is absolutely sad and despicable and i'm not proud of it at all at all um i know that when my dad was very close to death we were given um we were given a whole bunch of different needles <clears throat> to help him with pain and, and we knew that there was from the most you know lightest to severe and my doctor even said yeah they ordered the the big shot apparently there's like one shot like he's gonna be dead in 10 minutes 
that shot and my doc our doctor wouldn't even fulfill it because she said you know there was no way that uh we were going to be using that and we certainly wouldn't have been um okay well we sure had fun watching christia freeland didn't we how about let's have a little look to do remarks on how the 2020 pandemic uh, even though it aged us all, speak for yourself, sir. You are looking like you're aging. I'm sorry. That'll probably take away your ability to get uh, actually elected again because it was basically on your looks. So that's kind of sad for you. Uh, but it made us Canadians better and brought us together despite Canada being uh, known as a leader for COVID restrictions and medical se segregation under Trudeau's leadership. Okay, well, take a look at Trudeau. Whether you were a student, a worker, a business owner, or a parent, that one year, 2020, added a few years to all of our lives. But as people pulled together, we saw the best in one another. Is that it? <laughs> Was that the end? We saw the best in one another. I, I just beg to differ. We saw the very worst. We saw police behaving badly. We saw our government... Um, Shooting innocent citizens, pedestrians on the streets of Ottawa. Do you know what you did? You, you fired rubber bullets into pedestrians that were unarmed who were standing there. Think about what you did. Even the day that the truckers pulled out, that's, that's when you sent your thugs in. The ugly suits. With, with no identification, so we'd never know. I looked into many of their eyes right there. I looked in their eyes. Some of them were human. And I didn't think they looked too happy about doing what they were doing. I saw a soul in there. Some of them, as I was on the streets, at the end of Convoy, the Freedom Convoy 2022, loved it. Five weeks of the, the best stand I've ever seen in my whole life. I will never forget it. It was beautiful. The way Canadians came together and sang together, laughed together, cried together, loved together. You turned it into something evil, <clears throat> tried to, and then you shot at people and threw that smoke to try to disperse Canadians. And the truckers already told you to stand down. Blazing. You didn't, we didn't see the best come out when doctors have, you know, literally mistreated, um, unvaccinated people. We didn't see the best come out when your police officers have had to fulfill these restrictions. When you put pastors in jail for feeding the homeless. No, we didn't see the best. What a pile of crock. I don't know what, what world you're living in, but it certainly wasn't the world of us freedom loving Canadians. Oh, unbelievable. Okay. What we have next, um, another video, um, breaking some basic income motion, uh, a basic income motion put forward by the city of St. John council was passed unanimously. Take a look. Guaranteed livable basic income. I will call the question. All in favor? Opposed? Motion carried unanimously. We're calling on high orders of government to work together to implement a guaranteed livable basic income. And if you look at our incomes in the last 40 years, they do not sustain the purchasing power they need, which creates tent cities to shelters. And we're just seeing a proliferation 
of them. We now have 16 food banks. I think when we started, we had one or two. So this has been going on for a long time, and I commend you on that, and it is a national issue. Provision of a guaranteed livable basic income would benefit individuals, families, communities, and protect the most vulnerable in society. It would also support community resilience by facilitating the transition to a local economy that responds to the climate crisis and other major challenges. I had actually spoken to Dr. Rob Moyer from UNB. He's one of the economist uh, professors there, and uh, we discussed a lot about the research that's been done, and there was a lot of research done in Manitoba, and they, they said that there were some groups that were concerned that people would refrain themselves from working if there was a basic income. The research actually showed that it would only it was only showing that new moms or high school students took a little bit longer to get out in the workforce. Um, but most of the of the research is quite favorable for this. I, I think this is an important step and commend Councillor McKenzie for doing so. Um, you know, we take on a lot of advocacy roles um, at the city and I think this is an important one of those. I hope we don't lose sight of our need to be aggressive in challenging our status quo in City Hall so that we can do our best to make sure that we are bettering the lives consistently of folks who need it. When And I, I do sit on the eight cities of New Brunswick and we have talked about it there and I've been to the Mayor's Congress for the Atlantic Mayor's Congress and so that's where I guess we first heard about it or I should say I first heard about it. It's a, it's a great idea and it's been great to have you here tonight to be able to answer any questions and to just hear some of the comments from from my team here and all the literature that was provided has been helpful as well. So really appreciate you being here. Right. So we don't know uh, what bill that is locally there in uh, St. John's, but um, they've tried this in Finland and the, the point is very good. I didn't really see anyone answering to it. What happens with all of these young people, these, you know, dissatisfied, unhappy, entitled young people these days, um, who sometimes, what, what will they do if they have a, a guaranteed income? And, you know, you can see that there can be a, a cycle that will just be absolutely terrible. And uh, as well, I have to agree with one of our commenters in, in the feed here, Sharon, that this is more of the United Nations Agenda 2030. It absolutely is sustainable development goals where we just you know give everyone money for doing nothing it does not encourage entrepreneurship it doesn't encourage getting a better life welfare basically has been this the same thing um welfare keeps someone i remember having a friend that was on welfare for many many years and i helped to get him off of it because i you know he he was so afraid to let go of that little bit of money and i said yeah but if you do this, if you expand your thinking, if you, you know, um, uh, get into business for yourself and eventually actually he did and was making a really good paycheck, um, daily, but it was very hard to release that, you know, that, that soother that he had become accustomed to. And so this is happening, everyone. They're just, you know, you'll own nothing and be happy. The, this is, this is how they'll do it. You you own nothing. Your income tax is going up. Your property tax is going up in Ontario. And they'll probably be doing that other places in the world. Our dollar is going down here in Canada. It's really at a, I mean, has in my lifetime, I've never seen it at a dollar 40 per US dollar. I've never seen that. Have you guys? This, you know, who, no one's talking about it. Have you heard that in the news anywhere? I haven't seen even an article on it, how bad our dollar is right now. 
And so, you know, it's not good. So there's new data that shows the emergency room deaths in Nova Scotia were up 10% in 2022 from 2021. And uh, what's going on in Nova Scotia? This was the disgusting, isn't that where this story was from the other day that we ended the show on? That his wife, I believe, died in Nova Scotia in the emergency room. So what is going on over in Nova Scotia? I have to ask. I need to get a hold of my friend again, Glenn, and see if he can uh, give us a, just a you know a little bit of understanding on um, on why this is happening uh, in 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 a, a small province like Nova Scotia. I mean, you don't want to end up having to go to that emergency room, do you? I don't think so. All right, in Saskatchewan. Upcoming immunizations are not shared with parents, guardians, students, according to school immunization form by the public health services in Saskatchewan. Um, so I think that what happens, um, is this correct, Shane, that they get notified it'll be happening at some point? Or the parents consent in the beginning, but then they just never talk about it again, right? So <clears throat> you kind of approve um, upcoming immunizations. I don't know if you get a whole list of what they actually are, but as we've been finding, as a general practice, it says upcoming school immunization dates are not shared with parents, guardians, or students. And I would wonder, you know, so, okay, we've already got approval from parents so-and-so. We're going to add three more immunizations this year. Like, do you, do you have to reapprove all, all of those? Because Seems to me we've got an awful lot of crazy stuff going on that's really bad for kids these days. Um, the cost of running Toronto, oh, we have we already done that? That we've done that one. Okay. Um, and you showed the cover of the, the um, Toronto Star, Toronto Sun paper regarding those taxes going up. So uh, this next video are changes in the weather putting people at greater risk for health issues. That's a question everyone's asking. Let's look. Wildly fluctuating weather could be putting Victorians at greater risk of cancer or other illnesses. A Monash University study has looked at the long-term impact of the city's famous four seasons in one day with surprising results. From summer snow to searing heat days later, Melbourne is notorious for having one of the most temperamental climates in the world. Over the past couple of days and weeks, we've certainly lived up to that reputation. But according to a new study, our wild weather could be taking a serious toll on our health. Our study is the first to look at uh, the temperature fluctuation and the gene expression. First in Australia and the first in the world. Researchers from Monash University collected blood samples from 479 people exposed to fluctuating temperatures each day for a week. They found significant changes to genes linked to diseases like breast and colorectal cancer, schizophrenia, depression and bipolar. The findings are significant, but it's still early days. Researchers have only tested females so far. They hope to assess men and pregnant women exposed to the same conditions in the near future.
1.75 million deaths are associated with unstable temperatures around the globe each year, and older Australians face the biggest risk. Researchers hope the breakthrough will lead to further action against climate change. In the meantime, there are small steps you can take to protect yourself. When you are indoors, I think it is better to, to make the temperature as comfortable as you can to mitigate the impact of the unstable temperature. I saw something uh, recently. I think that the temperature on the planet uh, has risen. Um, it was, uh, I wish I had it right in front of me, but I think it was 0 0.03. You remember that as well? Okay, good. Yeah, because if you can confirm that. So the temperature on the planet in the last, like, many, many, many decades, you know, it's, the, the temperature has not risen an excessive amount. And people who have seen the snow and, and the rain and all of that that have been happening say, oh, they remember, you know, bad snows and, and all of that. Um, at the same time, people I know, especially in Alberta, Saskatchewan and farmers and things like that, say that there have been some temperature and <clears throat> strange, you know, things that have changed. Um, and they believe that there are things that the government is doing that's actually causing that, like the, you know, seeding of the, the skies and all of that. And so we do know that Canada and the U.S. have an agreement that they will not do any of their weather modification um, within 200 kilometers or 200 miles of, of um, and now that's a big difference, 200 kilometers is definitely a lot less than 200 miles, but within a certain amount of the border, they're not going to be doing their weather modification. They actually have a, an agreement. So what does that mean? Well, you know, if they don't really admit to doing this seeding of the air. Like, what are they doing that's weather modification? It's it's in their own documents. It's There's a Canadian document that we've highlighted on this show in the past. So the next thing that they want to do, are you ready for this, ladies, is take away um, our gas stoves. And this is actually really about ventilation, maybe they're talking, but in the United States, uh, it's a big movement to remove all gas stoves to be replaced by electricity. Take a look. You know, the science is showing us that having a gas stove in a small apartment, especially with bad ventilation, it's like having an, a car idling there. And if you have wow. young kids, it can affect cognitive abilities and in, as well as asthma. So uh, there was a restaurant guy that was on Tucker Carlson last night, and he was talking about like how detrimental. Of course, you have to have good ventilation if you're going to be cooking with a gas stove. You have to have that fan going and you can create that. That's the problem. Not, yeah, good ventilation period. Yeah. Because you know, you're burning things and I mean, that's a regular occurrence, right? <laughs> yeah. Just got a big thumbs up for that from the big boss over here. So, um, <clears throat> so, so that's the, the issue, have good ventilation. But seriously, this whole new Green Deal, this whole Agenda 2030, they want to take away the, the, the gas stoves. Uh, can you imagine? So I was asking JT last night if this is what they're proposing. Like, are they just going to say, oh, yep, you can't use your gas stove anymore. So you, do you have to replace that in every home, everywhere? And restaurant, you, you know, restaurateurs, I mean, these famous chefs and all of that, they're not going to be cooking on no, you know, electric stove. It, it takes too long to heat up. It, you know, it's, um, he said something like it's 40%, you know, in more, makes you more ineffective of what you're doing. You've got a restaurant full of people and you got to get cooking right away. You've got that instant heat, 
right? So you need good ventilation. Solve the ventilation problem. No, no, they just don't want you to have gas and they want to charge you a lot more for electricity as time goes on. All right, coming to an end here. Um, so there's new guidance in the U.S. suggesting surgery and drugs for children struggling with obesity. Okay, surgery and drugs. We've come into a very bad place where, uh, you know, the, the easy answer is just, you know, to medicate and I guess surgery. You know, how about maybe a few less um, fries and uh, deep fat things and a few less Oreo cookies? Um, that might be a good, but to actually just say that, you know, we're going to start operating now on, on little kids with that surgery, which is actually a pretty extensive surgery ridiculous. The world's gone mad in so many ways, you know, and, um, they are bringing out more of these, um, bigger models if you've noticed. Um, so, you know, women that, you know, I like big butts and, you know, one of those women, um, <clears throat> they got big everything, you know, and it's all like, uh, hanging out there and they're kind of pr promoting all of that. But, um, I, I told you about my new, it's, it's working actually pretty well. I'm going to not eat anymore after I get full or if I accidentally break the, the dish that I was eating from that happened today. But yeah, well, you, you did kind of do it, but I was willing to take, cause we were both in the same. Anyways, my, my dish broke and I couldn't finish my breakfast. Um, but you know, once you're full, just stop eating. Like that's a good diet plan. Just stop eating. You get full. We could all you know, take a lesson from this. The, the other day I got a couple little zoo sticks and, um, jalapeno poppers, uh, from a little drive through, right? That was mine. I got JT a burger and I had them, but you know what? I couldn't finish. I think it's two zoo sticks and a half a jalapeno. And I noticed I was full. I literally stopped and I folded it all up and I put it in the fridge and <clears throat> I'm feeling kind of hungry right now. I think I'm going to go warm that up. Right. And it had, you know, something to dip in. Like I literally stopped. I stopped because I made a new rule for myself that when I feel full, I'm going to stop stuffing my face because that's not good for my body. And the Bible has a lot to say about being overindulgent. It says in everything, in everything with moderation, gluttony is a sin. Gluttony, eating too much is a sin. So I don't, and that doesn't mean that it's, it's uh, people that are already have a weight problem, you know, oh yeah, they must, oh no, look, look at yourself, right? We're all carrying a little bit extra. I mean, it's hard to find anyone that's felt and fit these days. Um, everywhere you turn in a public place, if you want to look, there's a lot of excess and I don't think we need to be doing that. And, uh, but I also don't want there to be too little. Uh, we have one more, um, video. Okay. So yes. What is that? Go ahead. Okay. I don't know. Okay. The, oh, right. I see. I think I see it here. So here's a video. Uh, oh, I, I missed it. Researchers hope three in one jab will ease vaccine fatigue. Uh, it's being tried in Queensland targeting COVID, the flu and serious respiratory issues. So it's three in Carolyn one. Carolyn Rose Take is fit, firing and no stranger to a needle. I'm a baby boomer and I've had all my vaccinations in childhood. The 72 year old from the Gold Coast is serious about her health. I'm passionate about uh, the effectiveness and the the power of vaccine. So much so she's taking part in a new vaccine trial launched by the University of the Sunshine Coast. 
if successful, will ultimately help um, participants receive you know, one dose and that could be potentially covered for all three. A three-in-one Moderna mRNA vaccine designed to battle COVID, the flu and respiratory syncytial virus or RSV all at the same time. It would certainly um, have a significant impact on community. Especially against the potentially deadly RSV of which there is no current vaccine available in Australia. If the vaccine works, the trial could be extended to younger people. A successful trial will mean Aussies will spend less time bouncing between GPs and pharmacies to get their jabs. Putting less stress on an already strained healthcare system. The 13-month trial is seeking healthy volunteers between 50 and 75 and pays $150 a visit. Mm. Keep your money. That's what I say. Keep your money. I'm not interested in your $150. And this is them now moving mRNA into all vaccines. And you know that's the plan, right? So this mRNA, what we're finding out about the spike proteins, what we're finding out about the, the different things that are happening. And I'm, I'm on a, a certain platform today, so I'm not going to say much. Y'all know what I have to say. Um, this making it easier. Wow. I'll just stop there because uh, if you want to know how I really feel, you might want to check out my Rumble channel. On Rumble, I let all of it hang out, but I can't do that today because telling the truth on certain places will get you very in trouble. So we'll stop there. Um, my name is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson. Thank you very much for joining us. My website is lauralynn.tv. I appreciate from the bottom of my heart that you support us, that you take a moment and you send us an e-transfer to Lauralyn Live at protonmail.com um, that you say uh, in your own way, thank you for what we're doing. We appreciate that. And if all you can do is pray because, you know, the inflation and all of that, we will take your prayers because we actually happen to believe that prayer is the most powerful thing on the planet and that prayer works. And we are in the gravest fight of our lives. So when JT and I get up in the morning, we think about how to present the best possible news to you so that you know what's truly going on. You will not see this on CTV, CBC, or Global, and we do not get funds from the government like they do to tell lies. We speak the truth. We try to present honest information, and if you appreciate that, if you'd be willing to go to my website, make a donation, send an e-transfer, that would be wonderful. If you'd like to just say thank you and send a, a letter and a note that would be wonderful too and thank you people wrote me yesterday about magnesium and one guy told me the kind of magnesium that i should actually be using um, to get more sleep he actually broke it right down let me see if i can find that and if you are looking to um, invest in something that would be more uh you know safe right now than our dollar and our current currency what's going on in the banks people are saying that you maybe shouldn't be hoarding your cash um then you might want to look into buying uh gold and silver we recommend steve merrill from Kelowna, british columbia he's been in the business over 20 years he's rock solid um you buy your silver you'll get your silver and uh his email is sovereignize at protonmail.com and so my lovely, wonderful Kevin wrote me yesterday and says that there are several different kinds of magnesium, but the one that he found works the best for sleep is magnesium L-3 and 8, T-H-R-E-A-N-A-T-E, magnesium L-3 and 8. And he says, supposedly this version is more readily absorbable by the brain. And he also 
uses now brand Magteen, uh, but Life Extension also has one named NeuroMag. Uh, so I think that these are all really good. And I thank you, Kevin, for letting me know what kind of magnesium I can get. Um, I had a great sleep last night. I listened to my favorite preacher before bed. And uh, we like to do that. We used to do that a long time ago. And then we got out of the habit because we moved and we lost our uh, all of our storage of all the, the uh, messages that I had stored. I, I like to just fill my brain, you know, before bed, early in the morning with the powerful word of God. And always remember BibleGateway.com. You can just go to it and pick any passage if you want to start with, oh, let's say John 1, which I want to read to you right now. Right now. Um, you can start and uh, just let, and, and you push the, the little speaker and it will just read into your brain and it, it'll actually do it for hours if you want. And I think that's really cool and it's a great way to get the word in. Sometimes I'm just sleeping and I don't hear it for a couple hours and then I wake up and a powerful verse is being spoken into my ear. And I, I think that's so cool. And I go, oh, that's a good one. I had to remember 2 Samuel 22 the other day um, because I that was the, the chapter that I found out that we were in, 2 Samuel 22. And at least it was all twos, you know, it helped me to put that together. But um, so wonderful. So I didn't just take out my candy. And uh, yeah, that's good. That made my throat feel wonderful. So we're talking about how you know that you're really a Christ follower today. Um, you know, we spoke about uh, Glenn Beck, and I just pray that each and every one of us find the true Lord Jesus Christ. Not so interested in what church you go to. I, I'm um, disappointed in our national church organization. Here in Canada but I do know that Jesus is real that he's powerful that he has a plan for you I know he can heal your body some of you need healing because of some decisions you've made uh, because of some of the ways you've lived God is a gracious and a merciful God and if you believe on him and him alone as the one true God he is able to come into your life and to heal your body so John, the book of John, talks about who Jesus is. <clears throat> it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, John the Baptist, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. When Jesus showed up as a little baby, the world had no idea what had just happened. They had no idea that that little baby was going to save all of mankind, whoever would believe in him, that they would be set free from demonic oppression, from disease, from a life of brokenness, from depression. These are the things that Jesus came to bring. That's what he has for you. And when you find that, Find life. 
And it's interesting to me that many of us do believe in Jesus, but we never press in to find the revelation that literally changes us. We live our whole lives on the periphery. You know, we were raised in church or we have a certain belief and we know Jesus is real. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came so that he could be a friend that is closer than a brother. Often the power of the Holy Spirit is everywhere. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And we'll be with the Holy Spirit for a whole day and not even acknowledge him. Sometimes a whole year. Maybe it's time to make him the very center of your life. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.